0: Chapter six of At the Villa Rose by a e w Mason. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter six Hélène Vauquier's Evidence. A nurse opened the door. Within the room, Hélène Vauquier was leaning back in a chair. She looked ill, and her face was very white. On the appearance of Hanaud, the commissaire, and the others, however, she rose to her feet. Ricardo recognized the justice of Hanaud's description. She stood before them, a hard-featured, tall woman of thirty-five or forty, in a neat black stuffed dress, strong with the strength of a peasant, respectable, reliable. She looked what she had been, the confidential maid, of an elderly woman. On her face there was now an aspect, of eager appeal. "'Oh, monsieur,' she began, "'let me go from here, anywhere, into prison if you like.' but to stay here where in years past we were so happy and with madame lying in the room below no it is insupportable she sank into a chair and hanaud came over to her side yes yes he said in a soothing voice i can understand your feelings my poor woman we will not keep you here you have perhaps friends in aix with whom you could stay oh yes monsieur helene cried gratefully oh but i thank you that I should have to sleep here to-night. Oh, how the fear of that has frightened me!' "'You need have had no such fear. After all, we are not the visitors of last night,' said Hanaud, drawing a chair close to her and patting her hand sympathetically. "'Now, I want you to tell these gentlemen and myself all that you know of this dreadful business. Take your time, mademoiselle. We are human.' "'But, monsieur, I know nothing,' she cried. I was told that I might go to bed as soon as I had dressed Mademoiselle Celie for the séance seance cried Ricardo, startled into the speech. The picture of the assembly hall at Lemington was again before his mind, but Hanaud turned towards him, and though Hanaud's face retained its benevolent expression, there was a glitter in his eyes which sent the blood into Ricardo's face. Did you speak again, monsieur Ricardo? The detective asked no i thought it was not possible he turned back to helene vauquier so mademoiselle celie practiced séances that is very strange we will hear about them who knows what thread may lead us to the truth helene vauquier shook her head monsieur it is not right that you should seek the truth from me for consider this i cannot speak with justice of mademoiselle no i cannot i did not like her i was jealous yes jealous monsieur you want the truth i hated her and the woman's face flushed and she clenched her hand upon the arm of her chair yes i hated her how could i help it she asked why asked hanaud gently why could you not help it helene vauquier leaned back again her strength exhausted and smiled languidly i will tell you but remember it is a woman speaking to you and things which you will count silly and trivial mean very much to her. There was one night last June, only last June, to think of it. So little while ago there was no Mademoiselle Célie. And, as Hanaud raised his hand, she said hurriedly, Yes, yes, I will control myself, but to think of Madame D'Auvray now. And thereupon she blurted out her story, and explained to Mr. Ricardo the question which had so perplexed him how a girl of so much distinction as celia harland came to be living with a woman of so common a type as madame dauvray well one night in june said helene vauquier madame went with a party to supper at the abbe restaurant in montmartre and she brought home for the first time mademoiselle celie but you should have seen her she had on a little plaid skirt and a coat which was falling to pieces and she was starving yes starving Madame told me the story that night, as I undressed her. Mademoiselle Celie was there dancing amidst the tables, for a supper with anyone who would be kind enough to dance with her. The scorn of her voice rang through the room. She was the rigid, respectable peasant woman speaking out her contempt. And Wethermill must needs listen to it. Ricardo dared not glance at him but hardly any one would dance with her in her rags, and no one would give her supper except Madame. Madame did. Madame listened to her story of hunger and distress. Madame believed it and brought her home. Madame was so kind, so careless in her kindness. And now she lies murdered for a reward." A hysterical sob checked the woman's utterances. Her face began to work, her hands to twitch. "'Come, come,' said Hanaud gently calm yourself, Mademoiselle. Hélène Vauquier paused for a moment or two to recover her composure. I beg your pardon, monsieur, but I have been so long with Madame. Oh, the poor woman! Yes, yes, I will calm myself. Well, Madame brought her home, and in a week there was nothing too good for Mademoiselle Célie. Madame was like a child. Always she was being deceived and imposed upon. Never she learnt prudence but no one so quickly made her way to madame's heart as mademoiselle celie mademoiselle must live with her mademoiselle must be dressed by the first modiste mademoiselle must have lace petticoats and the softest linen long white gloves and pretty ribbons for her hair and hats from caroline rebout at twelve hundred francs and madame's maid must attend upon her and deck her out in all these dainty things bah! Vauquier was sitting erect in her chair, violent, almost rancorous with anger. She looked around upon the company and shrugged her shoulders. I told you not to come to me, she said. I cannot speak impartially or even gently of mademoiselle. Consider, for years I had been more than madame's maid, her friend. Yes, so she was kind enough to call me. She talked to me about everything, consulted me about everything, took me with her everywhere then she brings home at two o'clock in the morning a young girl with a fresh pretty face from a montmartre restaurant and in a week i am nothing at all Oh, but nothing and mademoiselle is queen "Uh, yes it is quite natural said hanaud sympathetically you would not have been human mademoiselle if you had not felt some anger but tell us frankly about these séances how did they begin oh monsieur vauquier answered It was not difficult to begin them. Madame d'Auvray had a passion for fortune-tellers and rogues of that kind. Anyone with a pack of cards and some nonsense about a dangerous woman with black hair, or a man with a limp, Monsieur knows the stories they string together in dimly lighted rooms to deceive the credulous. Anyone could make a harvest out of Madame's superstitions. But Monsieur knows the type. Indeed I do, said Hanaud with a laugh. Well, after Mademoiselle had been with us three weeks, she said to me one morning, when I was dressing her hair, that it was a pity Madame was always running round the fortune-tellers, that she herself could do something much more striking and oppressive, and that if only I would help her we could rescue Madame from their clutches. Sir, I did not think what power I was putting into Mademoiselle Célie's hands, or assuredly I would have refused. And I did not wish to quarrel with Mademoiselle Célie. So for once I consented, and having once consented, I could never afterwards refuse. For if I had, mademoiselle would have made some fine excuse about the psychic influence not being en rapport, and meanwhile we would have had me sent away. While if I had confessed the truth to madame, she would have been so angry that I had been a party to tricking her that again I would have lost my place. And so the séances went on. Yes, said Hanaud. I understand that your position was very difficult. We shall not, I think—and he turned to the commissaire, confidently for corroboration of his words—be disposed to blame you. Certainly not, said the commissaire. After all, life is not so easy. Thus then the séances began, said Hanaud, leaning forward with a keen interest. This is a strange and curious story you are telling me, Mademoiselle Vauquier. Now, how were they conducted? How did you assist? What did Mademoiselle Celie do? Rap on the tables in the dark and rattle tambourines like that one with the knot of ribbons which hangs upon the wall of the salon. There was a gentle and inviting irony in Hanaud's tone. Monsieur Ricardo was disappointed. Hanaud had, after all, not overlooked the tambourine. Without Ricardo's reason to notice it, he had none the less observed it and borne it in his memory. Well, he asked oh monsieur the tambourines and the rapping on the table cried Helene. that was nothing oh but nothing at all mademoiselle celie would make spirits appear and speak really and she was never caught out but mademoiselle celie must have been a remarkably clever girl oh she was of an address which was surprising sometimes madame and i were alone sometimes there were others whom madame in her pride had invited for she was very proud, monsieur, that her companion could introduce her to the spirits of dead people. But never was Mademoiselle Célie caught out. She told me that for many years, even when quite a child, she had travelled through England giving these exhibitions. "'Oh, ho!' said Hanaud, and he turned to Wethermill. "'Did you know that?' he asked in English. "'I did not,' he said. "'I do not now.' Hanaud shook his head. To me, this story does not seem invented, he replied. And then he spoke again in French to Hélène Vauquier. Well, continue, Mademoiselle. Assume that the company is assembled for our séance. Then Mademoiselle Célie, dressed in a long gown of black velvet, which set off her white arms and shoulders well. Oh, Mademoiselle did not forget these little trifles, Hélène Vauquier interrupted her story, with a return of her bitterness to interpolate. Mademoiselle would sail into the room with her velvet train flowing behind her, and perhaps for a little while she would say there was a force working against her, and she would sit silent in a chair while Madame gaped at her with open eyes. At last Mademoiselle would say that the powers were favourable, and the spirits would manifest themselves to-night. Then she would be placed in a cabinet, perhaps with a string tied across the door outside. You will understand. It was my business to see after the string, and the lights would be turned down, or perhaps out altogether. Or at other times, we would sit holding hands round a table, Mademoiselle Celie between Madame Dauvray and myself. But in that case, the lights would be turned out first, and it would be really my hand which held Madame Dauvray's. And whether it was the cabinet or the chairs, in a moment Mademoiselle would be creeping silently about the room in a little pair of soft-soled slippers without heels which she wore so that she might not be heard and tambourines would rattle as you say and fingers touch the forehead and the neck and strange voices would sound from corners of the room and dim apparitions would appear the spirits of great ladies of the past who would talk with madame d'auvray such ladies as madame de castiglione marie antoinette madame de medici I do not remember all the names, and very likely I do not pronounce them properly. Then the voices would cease and the lights be turned up, and Mademoiselle Célie would be found in a trance just in the same place, an attitude as she had been, when the lights were turned out. Imagine, messieurs, the effect of such séances upon a woman like Madame Dauvray. She was made for them. She believed in them implicitly. The words of the great ladies from the past— she would remember and repeat them and be very proud that such great ladies had come back to the world merely to tell her madame dauvray about their lives she would have had seances all day but Mademoiselle celie pleaded that she was left exhausted at the end of them but Mademoiselle celie was of an address For instance, it will seem very absurd and ridiculous to you, gentlemen, but you must remember what Madame d'Auvray was. For instance, Madame was particularly anxious to speak with the spirit of Madame de Montespan. Yes, yes, she had read all the memoirs about that lady. Very likely, Mademoiselle Célie had put the notion into Madame d'Auvray's head, for Madame was not a scholar.' But she was dying to hear that famous woman's voice, and to catch a dim glimpse of her face. Well, she was never gratified. Always she hoped. Always Mademoiselle Celie tantalized her with the hope. But she would not gratify it. She would not spoil her fine affairs by making these treats too common. And she acquired—how should she not?—a power over Madame d'Auvray which was unassailable. The fortune-tellers had no more to say to Madame Dauvray. She did nothing but felicitate herself upon the happy chance which had sent her Mademoiselle Célie. And now she lies in her room murdered. Once more Hélène's voice broke upon the words, but Hanaud poured her out a glass of water and held it to her lips. Hélène drank it eagerly. There, that is better, is it not? he said. Yes, monsieur, said Hélène Vauquier, recovering herself. Sometimes, too, she resumed messages from the spirits would flutter down in writing on the table in writing, exclaimed Hanaud quickly, yes, answers to questions, Mademoiselle Celie had them ready. Oh, but she was of an address altogether surprising. I see, said Hanaud slowly, and he added, but sometimes I suppose the questions were questions which Mademoiselle Celie could not answer. Sometimes Hélène Vauquier admitted, when visitors were present, when Madame Dauvray was alone. Well, she was an ignorant woman, and any answer would serve. But it was not so when there were visitors whom Mademoiselle Celie did not know or only knew slightly. These visitors might be putting questions to test her, of which they knew the answers while Mademoiselle Celie did not. Exactly," said Hanaud. "What happened then?" All who were listening understood to what point he was leading Hélène Vauquier, all waited intently for her answer. She smiled. It was all one to Mademoiselle Célie. She was prepared with an escape from the difficulty? Perfectly prepared. Hanaud looked puzzled. I can think of no way out of it except the one, and he looked round at the commissaire and to Ricardo, as though he would inquire of them how many ways they had discovered. I can think of no escape, except that a message in writing should flutter down from the spirit appealed to, saying frankly—and Hanaud shrugged his shoulders—I do not know. Oh, no, no, monsieur, replied Hélène Vauquier, in pity for Hanaud's misconception. I see that you are not in the habit of attending séances. It would never do for a spirit to admit that it did not know. At once its authority would be gone, and with it Mademoiselle Célie's as well but on the other hand, for inscrutable reasons, the spirit might not be allowed to answer. I understand, said Hanaud, meekly accepting the correction. The spirit might reply that it was forbidden to answer, but never that it did not know. No, never that, agreed Hélène. So it seemed that Hanaud must look elsewhere for the explanation of that sentence. I do not know. Hélène continued— Oh, Mademoiselle Celie, it was not easy to baffle her, I can tell you. She carried a lace scarf which she could drape about her head, and in a moment she would be in the dim light an old, old woman, with a voice so altered that no one could know it. Indeed, you said rightly, monsieur, she was clever." To all who listened, Hélène Vauquier's story carried its conviction. Madame Dauvray rose vividly before their minds as a living woman. Célie's trickeries were so glibly described that they could hardly have been invented, and certainly not by this poor peasant woman, whose lips so bravely struggled with Medici and Montespan, and the names of the other great ladies. How, indeed, should she know of them at all? She could never have had the inspiration to concoct the most convincing item of her story, the queer craze of Madame d'Auvray, for an interview with Madame de Montespan. These details were assuredly the truth." Ricardo, indeed, knew them to be true. Had he not himself seen the girl in her black velvet dress shut up in a cabinet, and a great lady of the past dimly appearing in the darkness? Moreover, Helene Vauquier's jealousy was so natural and inevitable a thing. Her confession of it corroborated all her story. Well, then, said Hanaud, we come to last night. There was a seance held in the salon last night no monsieur said vauquier shaking her head there was no séance last night but already you have said interrupted the commissaire and hanaud held up his hand let her speak my friend yes monsieur shall hear said vauquier it appeared that at five o'clock in the afternoon madame dauvray and mademoiselle celie prepared to leave the house on foot it was their custom to walk down at this hour to the villa des fleurs pass an hour or so there, dine in a restaurant, and return to the rooms to spend the evening. On this occasion, however, Madame Dauvray informed Hélène that they should be back early, and bring with them a friend who was interested in, but entirely sceptical, of spiritualistic manifestations. "'But we shall convince her to-night, Célie,' she said confidently, and the two women then went out. Shortly before eight, Hélène closed the shutters both of the upstairs and the downstairs windows, and of the glass doors in the garden, and returned to the kitchen, which was at the back of the house, that is, on the side facing the road. There had been a fall of rain at seven which had lasted for the greater part of the hour, and soon after she had shut the windows the rain fell again in a heavy shower, and Hélène, knowing that Madame felt the chill, lighted a small fire in the salon. The shower lasted until nearly nine, when it ceased altogether and the night cleared up. It was close upon half past nine when the bell rang from the salon. Vauquier was sure of the hour, for the charwoman called her attention to the clock. I found Madame Dauvray, Mademoiselle Celie, and another woman in the salon. Continued Helene Vauquier, Madame had let them in with her latch key. Ah, the other woman! cried Benard. Had you seen her before? No, monsieur. What was she like? She was sallow, with black hair and bright eyes like beads. She was short and about forty-five years old, though it is difficult to judge of these things. I noticed her hands, for she was taking her gloves off, and they seemed to me to be unusually muscular for a woman. Ah! cried Louis Benard, that is important. Madame Dauvray was, as she always was before a séance, in a feverish flutter. You will help Mademoiselle Célie to dress Hélène, and be very quick,' she said, and with an extraordinary longing she added, ''Perhaps we shall see her to-night. Her, you understand, was Madame de Montespan,'' and she turned to the stranger and said, ''You will believe Adèle after to-night.'' ''Adèle,'' said the commissaire wisely, ''then Adèle was the strange woman's name?'' ''Perhaps,'' said Hanaud dryly. Hélène Vauquier reflected. I think Adele was the name, she said in a more doubtful tone. It sounded like Adele. The irrepressible Mr. Ricardo was impelled to intervene. What m Hanaud means, he explained, with the pleasant air of a man happy to illuminate the dark intelligence of a child, is that Adele was probably a pseudonym. Hanaud turned to him with a savage grin. Now that is sure to help her, he cried, a pseudonym. Hélène Vauquier is sure to understand that simple and elementary word. How bright this Monsieur Ricardo is! Where shall we find a new pin more bright, I ask you?" And he spread out his hands, in a despairing admiration. Mr. Ricardo flushed red, but he answered never a word. He must endure gibes and humiliations, like a schoolboy in the class. His one constant fear was lest he should be turned out of the room. The commissaire diverted wrath from him, however. What he means by pseudonym, he said to Hélène Vauquier, explaining Mr. Ricardo to her, as Mr. Ricardo had presumed to explain Hanaud, is a false name. Adèle may have been, nay, probably was, a false name adopted by this strange woman. "'Adèle, I think, was the name used,' replied Hélène, the doubt in her voice diminishing as she searched her memory i am almost sure well we will call her adele said hanaud impatiently what does it matter go on mademoiselle vauquier the lady sat upright and squarely upon the edge of a chair with a sort of defiance as though she was determined nothing should convince her and she laughed incredulously Here again, all who heard were able vividly to conjure up the scene, the defiant sceptic sitting squarely on the edge of her chair, removing her gloves from her muscular hands, the excited Madame Dauvray so absorbed in the determination to convince, and Mademoiselle Célie running from the room to put on the black gown which would not be visible in the dim light. "'Whilst I took off Mademoiselle's dress,' Vauquier continued, she said, when I have gone down to the salon, you can go to bed, Hélène. Madame Adèle—yes, it was Adèle—will be fetched by a friend in a motor-car, and I can let her out and fasten the door again, so if you hear the car, you will know that it has come for her. Oh, she said that, said Hanaud quickly. Yes, monsieur. Hanaud looked gloomily towards Wethermill. then he exchanged a sharp glance with the commissaire, and moved his shoulders in an almost imperceptible shrug. But Mr. Ricardo saw it, and construed it into one word. He imagined a jury uttering the word, guilty. Hélène Vauquier saw the movement, too. Do not condemn her too quickly, monsieur, she said, with an impulse of remorse, and not upon my words, for, as I say, I hated her. Hanaud nodded reassuringly, and she resumed. I was surprised, and I asked mademoiselle what she would do without her confederate. But she laughed and said there would be no difficulty. That is partly why I think there was no séance held last night. Monsieur, there was a note in her voice that evening which I did not as yet understand. Mademoiselle then took her bath while I laid out her black dress and the slippers with the soft, noiseless soles. And now I tell you why I am sure there was no séance last night, why Mademoiselle Célie never meant there should be one. Yes, let us hear that said Hanaud curiously, and leaning forward with his hands upon his knees. "'You have here, monsieur, a description of how Mademoiselle was dressed when she went away.' Hélène Vauquier picked up a sheet of paper from the table at her side. "'I wrote it out at the request of Monsieur le Commissaire.' She handed the paper to Hanaud, who glanced through it as she continued. "'Well, except for the white lace coat, monsieur, I dressed Mademoiselle Célie just in that way.' She would have none of her plain black robe. No, Mademoiselle Célie must wear her fine new evening frock of pale reseda green chiffon over a soft clinging satin which set off her fair beauty so prettily. It left her white arms and shoulders bare, and it had a long train and it rustled as she moved and with that she must have put on her pale green silk stockings, her new little satin slippers to match with the large paste buckles, and a sass of green satin looped through another glittering buckle at the side of the waist, with long ends loosely knotted together at the knee. I must tie her fair hair with a silver ribbon, and pin upon her curls a large hat of reseda green, with a golden-brown ostrich feather drooping behind. I warned Mademoiselle that there was a tiny fire burning in the salon. Even with a fire-screen in front of it there would still be a little light upon the floor, and the glittering buckles on her feet would betray her, even if the rustle of her dress did not. But she said she would kick her slippers off. "'Ah, gentlemen, it is, after all, not so, that one dresses for a séance,' she cried, shaking her head. "'But it is just so, is it not, that one dresses to go to meet a lover?' the suggestion startled every one who heard it it fairly took mr ricardo's breath away wethermill stepped forward with a cry of revolt the commissaire exclaimed admiringly but here is an idea even hanaud sat back in his chair though his expression lost nothing of its impassivity and his eyes never moved from helene vauquier's face listen she continued i will tell you what i think it was my habit to put out some sirop and lemonade and some little cakes in the dining-room which as you know is at the other side of the house across the hall i think it possible messieurs that while Mademoiselle celie was changing her dress Madame dauvray and the stranger adele went into the dining-room i know that Mademoiselle celie as soon as she was dressed ran downstairs to the salon well then suppose Mademoiselle celie had a lover waiting with whom she meant to run away she hurries through the empty salon opens the glass doors and is gone leaving the doors open and the thief, an accomplice of Adèle, finds the doors open and hides himself in the salon until Madame Dauvray returns from the dining-room. You see, that leaves Mademoiselle Célie innocent. Vauquier leaned forward eagerly, her white face flushing. There was a moment's silence, and then Hanaud said, That is all very well, Mademoiselle Vauquier, but it does not account for the lace coat in which the girl went away. She must have returned to her room to fetch that after you had gone to bed. Hélène Vauquier leaned back with an air of disappointment. "'That is true. I had forgotten the coat. I did not like mademoiselle Célie, but I am not wicked. "'Nor for the fact that the sirop and the lemonade had not been touched in the dining-room,' said the commissaire, interrupting her. Again the disappointment overspread Vauquier's face. "'Is that so?' she asked. "'I did not know. I have been kept a prisoner here.' The commissaire cut her short with a cry of satisfaction. "'Listen, listen!' he exclaimed excitedly. "'Here is a theory which accounts for all, which combines Vauquier's idea with ours. And Vauquier's idea is, I think, very just, up to a point. Suppose, Monsieur Hanaud, that the girl was going to meet her lover, but the lover is the murderer. Then all becomes clear. She does not run away to him. She opens the door for him and lets him in.' Both Hanaud and Ricardo stole a glance at Wethermill how did he take the theory wethermill was leaning against the wall his eyes closed his face white and contorted with a spasm of pain but he had the air of a man silently enduring an outrage rather than struck down by the conviction that the woman he loved was worthless it is not for me to say monsieur helene vauquier continued i only tell you what i know i am a woman and it would be very difficult for a girl who was eagerly expecting her lover so to act that another woman would not know it however uncultivated and ignorant the other woman was that at all events she would know the knowledge would spread to her of itself without a word consider gentlemen and suddenly helene vauquier smiled a young girl tingling with excitement from head to foot eager that her beauty just at this moment should be more fresh more sweet than ever it was careful that her dress should set it exquisitely off imagine it her lips ready for the kiss oh how should another woman not know i saw mademoiselle celie her cheeks rosy her eyes bright never had she looked so lovely the pale green hat upon her fair head heavy with its curls from head to foot she looked herself over and then she sighed She sighed with pleasure because she looked so pretty. That was Mademoiselle Célie last night, monsieur. She gathered up her train, took her long white gloves in the other hand, and ran down the stairs, her heels clicking on the wood, her buckles glittering. At the bottom she turned and said to me, "'Remember, Hélène, you can go to bed.' That was it, monsieur." And now violently the rancour of Hélène Vauquier's feelings burst out once more. For her, the fine clothes, the pleasure and the happiness. For me, I could go to bed. Hanaud looked again at the description which Hélène Vauquier had written out, and read it through carefully. Then he asked a question of which Ricardo did not quite see the drift. So, he said, when this morning you suggested to Monsieur the Commissaire that it would be advisable for you to go through Mademoiselle Célie's wardrobe, you found that nothing more had been taken away, except the white lace coat? that is so very well now after mademoiselle celie had gone down the stairs i put the lights out in her room and as she had ordered me to do i went to bed the next thing that i remember but no it terrifies me too much to think of it Helene shuddered and covered her face spasmodically with her hands hanaud drew her hands gently down courage you are safe now mademoiselle calm yourself she lay back with her eyes closed Yes, yes, it is true, I am safe now, but, oh, I feel I shall never dare to sleep again. And the tears swam in her eyes. I woke up with the feeling of being suffocated. Mon Dieu! There was the light burning in the room, and a woman, the strange woman with the strong hands, was holding me down by the shoulders, while a man with his cap drawn over his eyes, and a little black moustache pressed over my lips a pad, from which a horribly sweet and sickly taste filled my mouth the man with the arm which was free held me close to him and she bound my hands with a cord behind me look she held out her wrists they were terribly bruised red and angry lines showed where the cord had cut deeply into her flesh then they flung me down again upon my back and the next thing i remember is the doctor standing over me and this kind nurse supporting me she sank back exhausted in her chair and wiped her forehead with her handkerchief the sweat stood upon it in beads. Thank you, Mademoiselle, said Hanaud gravely. This has been a trying ordeal for you. I understand that. But we are coming to the end. I want you to read this description of Mademoiselle Celie through again, to make sure that nothing is omitted. He gave the paper into the maid's hands. It will be advertised, so it is important that it should be complete. See that you have left out nothing. Hélène Vauquier bent her head over the paper. No, said Hélène at last. I do not think I have omitted anything, and she handed the paper back. I asked you, Hanaud, continued suavely, because I understand that Mademoiselle Celie usually wore a pair of diamond eardrops, and they are not mentioned here. A faint color came into the maid's face. That is true, Monsieur. I had forgotten. It is quite true. Any one might forget, said Hanaud. With a reassuring smile, but you will remember now, think, think, did Mademoiselle Celie wear them last night? He leaned forward, waiting for her reply. Wethermill too made a movement. Both men evidently thought the point of great importance. The maid looked at Hanaud for a few moments without speaking. It is not from me, Mademoiselle, that you will get the answer, said Hanaud quietly. No, monsieur, I was thinking, said the maid her face flushing at the rebuke. Did she wear them when she went down the stairs last night? he insisted. I think she wore them, she said doubtfully. Yes, yes, and the words came now firm and clear. I remember well. Mademoiselle Célie had taken them off before her bath, and they lay on the dressing-table. She put them into her ears while I dressed her hair and arranged the bow of the ribbon in it. Then we will add the earrings to your description," said Hanaud, as he rose from his chair with the paper in his hand. And for the moment, we need not trouble you any more about Mademoiselle Celie. He folded the paper up, slipped it into his letter case, and put it away in his pocket. Let us consider that poor Madame Dauvray. Did she keep much money in the house? No, Monsieur, very little. She was well known in X, and her cheques were everywhere accepted without question. "'It was a high pleasure to serve, madame, her credit was so good,' said Hélène Vauquier, raising her head as though she herself had a share in the pride of that good credit. "'No doubt,' Hanaud agreed. "'There are many fine households where the banking account is overdrawn, and it cannot be pleasant for the servants.' "'They are put to so many shifts to hide it from the servants of their neighbors," said Hélène. "'Besides,' and she made a little grimace of contempt, A fine household and an overdrawn banking account. It is like a ragged petticoat under a satin dress. That was never the case with Madame Dauvray. So that she was under no necessity to have ready money always in her pocket, said Hanaud. I understand that. But at times perhaps she won at the Villa des Fleurs. Hélène Vauquier shook her head. She loved the Villa des Fleurs, but she never played for high sums, and often never played at all. If she won a few louis, she was as delighted with her gains, and as afraid to lose them again at the tables, as if she were of the poorest, and she stopped at once. No, monsieur, twenty or thirty louis, there was never more than that in the house.' "'Then it was certainly for her famous collection of jewellery that Madame D'Auvray was murdered?' "'Certainly, monsieur.' "'Now, where did she keep her jewelry? "'In a safe in her bedroom, monsieur.' "'Every night she took off what she had been wearing "'and locked it up with the rest. "'She was never too tired for that. "'And what did she do with the keys?' "'That I cannot tell you. "'Certainly she locked her rings and necklaces away "'whilst I undressed her, "'and she laid the keys upon the dressing-table "'or the mantel-shelf, anywhere. "'But in the morning the keys were no longer where she had left them. "'She had put them secretly away.' Hanaud turned to another point.' I suppose that Mademoiselle Célie knew of the safe, and that the jewels were kept there? Oh, yes. Mademoiselle, indeed, was often in Madame D'Auvray's room, when she was dressing or undressing. She must often have seen Madame take them out and lock them up again. But then, monsieur, so did I." Hanaud nodded to her with a friendly smile. "'Thank you once more, mademoiselle,' he said. "'The torture is over. But, of course, Monsieur Fleuriot will require your presence.' Hélène Vauquier looked anxiously towards him. "'But meanwhile I can go from this villa, monsieur,' she pleaded, with a trembling voice. "'Certainly. You shall go to your friends at once.' "'Oh, monsieur, thank you,' she cried, and suddenly she gave way. The tears began to flow from her eyes. She buried her face in her hands and sobbed. "'It is foolish of me, but what would you?' She jerked out the words between her sobs. "'It has been too terrible.' ''Yes, yes,'' said Hanaud soothingly. ''The nurse will put a few things together for you in a bag. You will not leave X, of course, and I will send someone with you to your friends.'' The maid started violently. ''Oh, not a sergent de vie, monsieur. I beg of you. I should be disgraced.'' ''No, it shall be a man in plain clothes, to see that you are not hindered by reporters on the way.'' Hanaud turned towards the door. On the dressing-table a cord was lying. He took it up and spoke to the nurse. Was this the cord with which Hélène Vauquier's hands were tied? Yes, monsieur, she replied. Hanaud handed it to the commissaire. It will be necessary to keep that, he said. It was a thin piece of strong whip-cord. It was the same kind of cord as that which had been found tied around Madame Dauvray's throat. Hanaud opened the door and turned back to the nurse. We will send a cab for Mademoiselle Vauquier. You will drive with her to her door. I think, after that, she will need no further help. Pack up a few things and bring them down. Mademoiselle Vauquier can follow, no doubt, now without assistance." And with a friendly nod he left the room. Ricardo had been wondering through the examination in what light Hanaud considered Hélène Vauquier. He was sympathetic, but the sympathy might merely have been assumed to deceive. His questions betrayed in no particular the color of his mind. Now, however, he made himself clear. He informed the nurse in the plainest possible way that she was no longer to act as jailer. She was to bring Vauquier's things down, but Vauquier could follow by herself. Evidently, Helene Vauquier was cleared. End of chapter six.